Pastor Joe, it's good to be here with you on this uh, Sunday morning. Um, something the last several years has taught us, or at least maybe revealed to us, is that there are some areas in our, in our lives and in professions that are a little bit more challenging to navigate than others. And uh, we've been saying for a while that we're so grateful for the men and women who serve and care for other people. And uh, whether it be in the, the first responders or in our nursing homes or in the hospitals, and it's been, it's been challenging in those arenas. And uh, my friend Sue, I saw her somewhere. Sue, where are you? Sue, come on up here, Sue. Um, Sue is going to share just, just for a moment with you about uh, an opportunity that you have to maybe just express some gratitude and show some um, encouragement. Uh-oh, don't push that button. Joe, leave the microphone alone. Ben's in control back there. <laughs> uh, but this is for you. I'll stand right here. How's that sound? Is that okay? <laughs> this is way out of my league. Um, I, I told Joe this morning that... Um, I'll hold this. How's that sound? I'll hold this for you. You go ahead and just talk. Okay, I told Joe this morning this is all his fault because several um, months ago, well, he's been doing it since he came here, he ends his sermons with, go love the hell out of your neighbors. And one Sunday I went home and I thought, what's he talking about? I mean, really, how do you do that? And what did he really mean? And I had some deep prayer thoughts and it was that, you know, we have to show so much love to our neighbors that they don't have hell in their life. They don't have Satan in their life anymore. They move him out and bring love in. So being a background of nursing, I uh, went right away to caregivers. And, and then I thought, how far can you go? We're in a, you know, across the world or wherever, but our community is our family. And I thought, Bemis Point and how wonderful we all are and we care for each other and we're all a big family. We're a big family here at church, but I wanted to reach out to the whole community, and so my heart went to the nursing home. I've been there. I've worked those shifts. I know how horrible they can be for staff, and so I went to Britta, and we pursued it, and Maggie, who I connected with down there, who grew up in Bemis uh, and was just overwhelmed that this church would think to support the staff not just the residents. Many churches support the residents, but they never do anything for the staff. And she said she was totally overwhelmed by that. So I knew it was a God thing. And so then um, we decided on a date, which is this coming Wednesday, the 15th of March. And there's been a lot going on in this church, so it hasn't been pushed so much. So uh, we're going to do a luncheon for each shift. And we have already got response since Britta put out uh, her email and we basically still need some soups and we need people we don't want to just shove them food and leave we want to be there with them show them love show them that we really care about them and um, that we're here for them and if they want prayer that we're there with them or just maybe they need a hug but just to show them that love so that's my goal and that's what I'm hoping this goes that we can continue reaching other areas 
there's firemen, there's a lot of people in this community that do overwhelming jobs to care for us. And so we need to show them we love them. So I just, um, the, and what really got me was when I was uh, working with my prayer, our prayer meeting on, on Mondays, was that God was telling me, what does scripture tell you? And James hit me in the head. James 2.17, where he said, faith without action is kind of worthless. It's dead. So that motivated me. I had to walk the talk. So that's where we're going. So I just want to go in faith and just see what God does. Sue, thank you so much. Let's give her a hand. Don't leave just yet. If folks wanted to sign up and, and let you know that they're available to, uh, where can they do that after the service? And out in the gallery, there'll be a table set up and a tablet. And just if you want to come, there's three shifts and there's three different times. And if you want to stay up and come late with us at midnight, you're welcome. Uh, but there's, um, you know, a day shift and a afternoon shift too. So great. But. We're going to, we're going to pray. I want to uh, personally challenge you and invite you. I'm going to go to the, the late night shift on Wednesday night with it's, oh, it's the two of us. Yeah. And uh, so come and join us for the late night shift. That's going to be the, the shift that's tough to fill, I think. Um, but we'd love to see you at some point. Just express a little bit of love to the persons that are on the front lines that maybe need a little touch this week. Let's pray, shall we? Uh, I want to personally thank you, too, and your husband and the, the work that you've done for so many years here at Bemis to make sure that people are fed and cared for and uh, just reaching out. Oh, hooray for the 30-hour famine. Oh, we're going to get to we that. fed them last night. Oh, yeah, they fed the folks that were hungry after the 30-hour famine. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the heart that you have given Sue and um, for your people and your children, God, the ones that you have created. And, uh, Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be paving the way before us, that in those moments of dining together we might experience communion with the Almighty and uh, that we as the church and those who are the laborers would come together and experience the blessing of God and uh, fill the bellies for sure, but Lord, also fill our spirits and uh, may we be a beacon of hope and we just thank you for those who are, are serving countless hours and laboring countless hours uh, in tough situations. God, would you bless them today in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. It's not easy. Uh, it's not easy coming up and talking for sure, and uh, it's it's even harder when you look out and you see all the people. <laughs> It'd be better if there was like a wall here or something, right? I think Sue would probably say amen to that. <laughs> um, you know, as as people, we have some some needs that have to be met. And um, one of them is we have a deep need to be loved. A deep need to be loved. Excuse me, I got to drink some water. Uh, we're talking about water today. You all need water too. You all need water too. That's another deep need that we have is for water. Our physical bodies need it. 60% of the human body is made up of water. It's fascinating. You can survive for about nine days without food, roughly, right? Only three without water. 
after a day, day and a half of no water, it starts to really affect you psychologically and there's some stuff with that. Um, we have deep needs. I think our deep need for love is talked about in scripture through water also. And hopefully today we're going to draw a connection in that. But before we, before we dive in, I want to just invite you to do something. Um, there's, there's paper around you. There, I mean, there's stuff in the pews and there's pencils uh, if you didn't bring something with you today. But maybe take a moment right now and just write down one of the major problems that you're navigating in life. Seriously. Everybody's got problems. We all got, we all got problems that we're navigating in life. Take a moment and write down the problem that you're navigating right now. And um, that problem is significant for you. It might not be significant for me, but it's significant for you. Take a moment and write that down. And, and we're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. But it's important to identify what the challenges are that we're facing. And it's important to do that in a, in a real practical way sometimes. So I'm going to give you just a second to, to write it down. You don't have to share it with everybody around you. You don't have to, you know, you're going to hang on to that. I'm not going to take them and collect them and start reading them, nothing like that. But identify what maybe one of the big problems is that you're facing right now. I want to pray for us and I want to pray for you and I'd like to pray for that problem that you've identified that's before you. So let's pray together. Holy God, thank you for the opportunity to gather for worship today uh, with brothers and sisters in the faith. Lord, we're all navigating different things that are significant in our lives. And Lord, your word reveals that the things that we're navigating that are difficult, you navigate with us. So I pray now, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would come and that we would experience the presence of the Lord in the midst of our problems. That we would know that you are with us right now. That nothing that we've written down, none of the thoughts that have come to our mind, have escaped you. And Lord, they don't surprise you, that you're not afraid of them, that you're not overwhelmed by them, but God, that you are here with us in the midst of them. So Jesus, we give them to you. And Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be an offering to you as well, to use as you see fit. May the scriptures that we will read come alive. And may your Holy Spirit give us wisdom to navigate life. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. I want to just uh, share a couple of thoughts with you too before we dive into the, the scripture. I have been following very closely um, someone that you might have heard about or read about. Her name is Christy Carson. Does anybody know Christy? She's a nurse at WCA in the, 
in the psych uh, area. Um, and she, she had heart failure while she was giving birth to two twins. Well, I guess that's what twins are, right? There's two of them. <laughs> and uh, Christy uh, and I met for the first time at the kitchen table in her mother-in-law's house when her father-in-law had died of a massive heart attack just weeks before she was set to deliver these twins. And um, Christy's, there's been some articles in the paper about Christy and kind of this process. And um, her mom attends Park Church and I knew her father-in-law, Sean, and I know her husband and her brother-in-law's. I didn't know, uh, that's one of the, sorry, pause for just a moment. That, that was just one of the blessings of the if gathering and the balloons. Every once in a while they pop. But uh, coming back to Christy, don't be alarmed. Coming back to Christy. Um, the first time I met her, she just kind of had this glow about her. And then the next time I saw her was at her father-in-law's funeral. And then the, the next time I saw her was actually in the hospital after she had delivered the twins when her heart began to fail. And her sister had died a year previously of the same condition of the heart. And um, Christy, we've been praying for Christy for about a year now. And, uh, you know, she's been on this journey. And, and her faith has increased through the process. And her mother-in-law has been one of the key pieces in the faith. Just to lift her before the Lord and to bring her before the church over and over and over again. And um, Christy went on a heart transplant list uh, about six weeks ago or five weeks ago and they had to wait for insurance you know how kind of all this works they had to wait for insurance to to approve that to happen well that happened I think last week and then they got a call this week that there was a heart for Christy her heart was not functioning at all she was functioning on um, on a, a fake fake heart they were making her heart beat for her constantly and uh, she there was a donor for her and her mom texted me late Thursday night saying, she's going into surgery tomorrow. Please call the church to prayer. And we began to pray for Christy. And uh, yesterday at about 3 o'clock, the procedure began for her to receive her new heart. And uh, her mom, mother-in-law texted me last night about 6.30 and said, please keep praying. She has no heart in her body right now. And they're getting ready to put the heart in the body. This stuff blows my mind. Okay. Um, and she texted me at one o'clock in the morning saying, Christy has received her new heart and they were able to close her up and we were able to see her for the first time and she knew we were there. And she said, please tell the church of how amazing God is in the midst of our biggest problems. And, you know, I know that some of you have testimonies too. And, and, you know, Christy's an example of a major problem. You, you can't survive real long without your heart. That's a major problem. But I want to know if you have a couple of testimonies. We have a couple of minutes. Where has God shown up in your life? Or where have you seen God at work recently in your life that you might be an encouragement to others who are going through some struggles? Okay, well, they're starting to raise their hands now. Go ahead. Yep. Well, I just want to thank everybody again for your prayers. Um, I had some major medical surgery uh, about three weeks ago. And yep. Here I am again. <laughs> here we are again. <laughs> here we are again. Yep. 25 years I was born. That's the first time I was diagnosed with bladder cancer 25 years ago. I survived that. And yeah. I think 
Yeah. Praise God for his, his healing in, in her life and also for, for the presence of God's people in her life. Yeah. Uh, Larry, did I see your hand? <laughs> Larry said if you're in jail, you're having problems or you had problems. Praise God. share this so that those that are worshiping online and maybe those in other parts of the sanctuary can hear that a little better. Larry uh, is, goes in, in, and ministers to the residents at the, at the um, prison and uh, in the Stop County Jail, thank you, yeah, and uh, this morning his testimony was that uh, six, six of those persons received Christ today. So they have received an answer to the biggest problem in their life, which we've identified in the last couple of weeks, is the biggest problem that we face is sin. And the only solution to the problem of sin is Jesus, actually. And Larry also shared that he always asks them, uh, who's been praying for you? And uh, he's told me this many times. He asks that question to, to folks that he leads to Christ. And uh, the response is always a woman in their life, either a grandmother, a mother, a sister, an aunt, uh, especially in the prison system, he's never heard the response of, it was my father. And I just want to challenge us with that also, that, that men who are in the room with me and men who are worshiping online with us, it's our responsibility now to rise up and also be praying for our children and for our spouses and for our grandchildren and to make those prayers known uh, with them. Yeah, thank you, Larry. We got time for maybe one more. Is there one more? Yeah, back here. Amen. So Debbie's uh, testimony is that on April 18th, she'll be going in for another brain surgery and that God has been with her in the midst of all of the challenges in life up until this point. And she's confident that he'll be with, present with her in that one also. We talked a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just want to encourage you, church, that some of you are going through some really seemingly big things and other people, the things that you're going through, you don't think are really big, but they are and they matter to God. And hear the testimonies of others of, of what God is doing in the natural world and what God is doing in the spiritual world, as Larry shared. And today, as we share the scriptures together, I want to focus on one primary piece. Uh, I know that Pastor Tom loves to hear those pages of the hymnals turn, or the, not the hymnals, they're Bibles. We don't have hymnals, and I don't think there's any hymnals in here, are there hymnals? There's hymnals upstairs, there's not hymnals down here. But he loves to hear the pages of the Bibles turning. And uh, Melody uh, did a wonderful job last week. And one of the things she shared with me afterwards, she goes, you know, I walked around and it was so cool because there were so many Bibles left on the pews. 
which means they were actually taken out and looked at. So go ahead and grab the Bibles in front of you, and we're going to turn to page 58, I believe it is. Nope, sorry, 52. 52 uh, in, your, in your Bibles in the pews. I mean, if you have a different Bible, it's probably not 52. Uh, but we're going to navigate today about the Israelites and their condition of that they were navigating where they were really thirsty. And uh, I just want to, I want to read the scriptures and then I want to unpack them for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. From Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you have a pencil, listen, I'm going out on a limb here, but I do think I have the authority to say this. You can write even in the pew Bibles right now for a moment. I would love to have the testimony of somebody coming after saying, you know, they underlined this, this verse for some reason. I wonder why they did that. Don't even be scribbling in the Bible, but if you want to underline the very last phrase where it says, is the Lord among us or not? How many of you, if you're being honest with yourselves and with others, would say that you've asked that question before? I have. God, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Moses gives the people the answer through the Lord. And I want to set the stage a little bit differently because um, sometimes when we read the scriptures, we miss some of the nuances of the context. And uh, I think it's important to understand what it meant by they were thirsty. Um, have you ever had to go without water? I mean, how many of you thought about that this morning as you got up, went to the faucet, turned it on, flushed the toilet Maybe, hopefully, put the seat back down. I was, I was raised right, I think, on that at least. Fired up the shower so you could take a shower. In the words of my tailor, every night she used to say, Daddy, please get me a drink of fresh cold water. Every night. Well, not every night because she's 19 now and she doesn't ask for that anymore. And I'd go to the kitchen sink or I'd go to the refrigerator and I'd get 
fresh cold water. We didn't think about it. You don't think about it. We don't live in a, a spot of the world that's probably ever going to have to navigate a drought where we don't have water. We have some dry summers, and if you're on a well, you know that sometimes the water table gets kind of low. But we live in a pretty good spot for sources of water. If you ever run out of water, come to my house. It flows out of the back hill all the time, and it's a good spring. And we have clean drinking water. We don't have to navigate cholera or E. coli. Or, I mean, we get that from other things, but it's not usually in our drinking water. Or typhoid or malaria or hepatitis. But other parts of the world, that is the case. And when I went to uh, Africa, one of the counsels that Allie gave me when I came, actually she bought me a, a water bottle. She said, this, this, you're going to take this everywhere with you and only drink the water that, that I make sure you, you put in it because the water here is not safe to drink. And then she said, and plus it's got a really cool little handle and if you need a weapon, <laughs> I don't process like that, but Allie, a young woman in Africa, needed to think about that, I guess. <laughs> you know, we, we take for granted the water that we have. Her dad said to me, don't open your mouth while you're taking a shower. Things that I don't think about. You know, I let the water run over your face, you open your mouth, eh, whatever. I'm, I'm like a little fish, I guess, in the shower. And then it really struck home when we entered the house of my friend Rose. And I think I've told you the story before. Rose couldn't walk. She was a quadriplegic. But she had crawled to get water that day. A mile. There and back. It's real. And it still wasn't safe to drink. But that was where she had to go to get water. She lived in the slums and had to get outside to a spring or a well where they could gather it and bring it back. You know, I was really impressed. It dawned on me this morning, actually, when I was talking to the Lord. I read the paper. Did anybody else read the paper and see how great our sports teams are doing? Man, I got, so Skylar Harrington from Randolph, I know, I know this is muddied water right here, right? This is, this is muddied water. Skylar loves Jesus. So we can be on the same team, right? And uh, I've grown up with Skylar uh, in the church and just a, a great athlete, her and her brother Kevin and that whole family is great athletes. And, you know, they were in the paper again because they won. Randolph won the, the quarterfinals, I think it was, yesterday, uh, the girls, and the Panama girls won it, and, and there's others around our county, and, and that's, that's making the headlines, isn't it? I mean, that's really making, people are highlighting that. Jamestown's ranked number one. I mean, it's, it's big news. You know what I didn't see in the paper? I looked. That there were 48 young men and young women who gathered in this space for 30 hours to not eat anything to try to end hunger in the world. And they raised just shy of $4,000. Yeah. They chose to look at a problem and to find a resolution. And when we process through life all the time, that, that happens. And I, if, you, if you were here for the 30-hour famine, thank you for doing that. Thank you for being uncomfortable 
for those that live in a state of uncomfortability, uncomfortability all the time. I got a message from a mother who uh, said, pray for them. Join us in praying for them was the, was the text message. They were praying on the front end for what the Spirit of God was going to do in you through that time. That's stuff that you're not going to read about this in the newspaper. But my prayer is that you start to see the effects of it, not only in the people who were here, but in the world where we start to live as men and women who fear God, who take our problems to the Lord first. You see, we all navigate problems. And are you looking for the problem or are you looking for the solution? The Israelites were so thirsty, they knew that death was right around the corner. That's a fact. They knew that their bodies, they could not survive. They were in the Sahara Desert. The desert of sin that extends all the way over. That's one of the hottest places in the world, identified in the top three, I think. That's crazy. And they had no water. They neglected the fact that the Lord had brought them out of the land of Egypt, had already provided the food for them, and that God had continually provided for them. But in their state of desperation, most of them, their go-to response was to try to solve the problem themselves and to begin complaining. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that that's most of our responses, isn't it? We try to solve the problem ourselves. We go into problem-solving mode. And if we don't like the way that the solution is coming, then we begin to grumble and complain about it. That's why the Bible talks so much about that, by the way, with our speech and how we say things and what we say. It's interesting to me that a couple of things took place in the beginning. Uh, who did they quarrel with? It says they quarreled with Moses. It was God who brought them out of Egypt, but they saw this guy at the helm and they said, this is the guy we got to uproot right now. Which, by the way, one commentator said that, that the translation there really isn't a great translation. The word quarreled actually means like they were ready to start a mutiny and they were going to oust this guy. It's not like me and Tom here having a quarrel or an argument. It wasn't like that. High tension. Why? Because they really thought they were going to die. So it's somewhat explainable, but that doesn't make it right. If we continue on a little bit further, we realize that uh, the Israelites fell into the trap that many of us begin to fall into. We begin to think that if we are living inside the will of God, that life is going to be easy and that there will be no more problems. That's not true. That's a lie, actually. Inside the will of God, when you're living there, actually Jesus said something very different and we've preached several messages on denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. In John's gospel, chapter 16, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Go back to that little piece of paper that you wrote down. The problems. In this world, you'll have trouble. Just because you're navigating problems doesn't mean you're outside the will of God. Inside the will of God, we experience the presence of God. Now, a couple other things that maybe we should take note of is that there were two responses in this narrative. The problem was the same. The problem was there was no water and people were about to start dying. 
The Israelites chose to quarrel and grumble and complain about the situation. Moses' response was very different, wasn't it? Moses' response was he took it to the Lord in verse 4. He says, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. You know, for all of Moses' faults, which he has quite a few of them, Moses was consistent in taking the problems back to God. Why? My solution, or my, my recognition here, this isn't uh, out of the scriptures, this is Joe's observation, was because Moses recognized it was God who called him to lead the people. It wasn't his problem, it was the Lord's problem, actually. I can't tell you how many times I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that line. I take you before the Lord, not because your problems, but I take you before the Lord and I say, Lord, what are we going to do here? Help me lead them. So do you respond like Moses or do you respond like the Israelites? Because you've got your problem. Is your first response to take it to the Lord and to maybe even say, God, you've got a problem here. How are you going to solve this and that's a very different response than God I've got a problem here you see the things that you navigate the life that you're living is actually the Lord's he created you he has a purpose for you he has a plan for your life right we take all those things out of context and the church is his vessel for advancing God's kingdom How do we respond when the problems are before us? I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of John. So put your finger there at page 52 and then turn with me to page... Hold on. I'm getting there. 753. 752. Shameless plug for our huddle groups, Andrew's huddle group, well, I think Andrew's part of the huddle group, but one of the huddle groups, Andrew is leading, and they're walking through the Gospel of John right now. And Andrew's preaching with the youth on the Gospel of John, and just this last week, Andrew preached from this text right here, from John chapter 1 through 4, as he led the youth. In chapter 4, we meet the Samaritan woman, the woman who was thirsty, and Jesus who was thirsty, and they were hanging out at the well, and you remember the story. Jesus says to the woman, would you get me some water? And the woman was amazed that Jesus would talk to her, first of all, because she was a Samaritan and Jesus a Jew, and they don't talk to each other. It's like red dragons and cardinals. Is that too close to home? No, we, we talk to each other, right? We should. I'm, not a, I'm nothing, actually. Pasco Preparatory Academy right here, baby. We, we get along with everybody. <laughs> anyway... Uh, Jesus says a couple of things that I want to highlight for you, and then I want to leave you with um, a lasting solution. Jesus says to the woman in the 13th verse, after she says, you have nothing to draw water with, sir. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Which is true. Since 1999, people have been consuming, they said, 56% more water. Every time we take a sip of water, we want more water, don't we? And Jesus made that really profound statement that everybody who drinks from this well before you 
will be thirsty again. And then, like Jesus always does, he turns it and he says, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. I want that water. One commentator raised this question and I've been chewing on it all week. He says, Jesus says, if we drink of the water he offers us, we will never be thirsty. So why are we all still thirsty? I think the solution comes in that we haven't fully accepted the living water. The Israelites are good representations of people since the beginning of time that we navigate and we process through life in the physical world. I think there are maybe three steps that might help you to start to process where you're not thirsty any longer spiritually, where you've received all that God has. And it starts with identifying the problem. That piece of paper that you wrote on is a great starting spot. The second piece of the puzzle is commit that to God. Commit whatever it is that you wrote down to the Lord and make it a priority to talk to God about it in prayer. And then the solution for the whole thing is expect God to work for good. Because that's the character and nature of who God is. The Israelites had missed that. And they began to quarrel and they began to doubt. And that's the narrative of the people of God, isn't it? If I were writing the story again today, I'd write the same exact narrative. But there are those at times who get it right. Who walk in step with the Almighty. Whose lives are a reflection of the glory of the one that is within them. And they don't ask that question that I posed at the beginning, which actually came from Moses' recollection of, is the Lord with us or not? Because you know. You know that he is because you've drunk and continue to drink from the living water. Church, God has not abandoned you. God is still in the business of working out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Good doesn't always get to be determined by you. Good gets to be determined by the one who is good. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, thank you for your church. Thank you, God, that you have been faithful when we have not been. Thank you that in the midst of our very real struggles, we get to experience the glory of the Lord even if but for a moment. And now, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would, would move us from where we were, as Brennan prayed earlier, to closer to where you would have us be, that we would rest in your presence for but a moment. And God, that we might take that which we receive right now, and share it with others. 
so that they too may never be thirsty again. Jesus, help us. In your name we pray. Amen.